Welcome to Permaweb Pioneers. We feature individuals, companies, projects, and more building on the Permaweb, a global, decentralized, and community-owned web built on top of Arweave. In this panel episode, hosted live on at only Arweave's Twitter space, we speak with a number of founders from the most recent open web foundry, OWF6, which concluded in April 2022. We speak with founders of Contributor Town, Kip Engine, Rare Candy, and Fora. Amazing founders and projects that are growing in the ecosystem, all built on Arweave. Enjoy. The hosts of this podcast and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions of the hosts and the guests are their own. Nothing discussed on this podcast can be relied upon for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This podcast is solely for entertainment and informational purposes. All right, so in this Permweb Pioneers panel, we are speaking with founders and team members from the most recent open web foundry, that's OWF6, which is an Arweave incubator um, that allows builders to build on the permweb, get some assistance in the process, and then go through what is called Demo Day, which just happened uh, last week. And so those uh, entities that are, are here today are contributor.town, Kip Engine. Rare Candy, and Fora. And so we have a great mixture of emphases um, from, you know, growing DAOs to 3D metaverse experiences to amazing NFT experiences and decentralized, uncensorable um, communities. Uh, and so, you know, first of all, just congrats to to all of you for for what you're building and and for your experience in Demo Day. It was an amazing event for those that were not there that are listening. Demo Day is quite the experience. Um, the Arweave team uses Gather Town, which is a really cool platform. It feels like you're in this video game, and you can have these tables and discussions, and you know, it's it, it's it's really kind of a a visceral experience um, and puts you in this space. So it, it really does feel like a, an event. Um, and it was a lot of fun to be able to meet some of you there uh, and, and connect and learn. And so the intention here is to really learn a bit more about each of you individuals and the, the entities in which you formed and, and will be growing going forward. And so with that, I'd like to start with JB. Um, JB is the is the founder of Contributor.town, and uh, JB and Contributor Town are focused on better coordination through data science. Uh, JB, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Yeah, doing well. So, you know, one of the things that I think was really striking in your presentation is you. <laughs> I mean, you have a lot of experience. You've grown communities. Um, you've, you've founded, uh, companies, um, can you share a little bit about yourself and, uh, possibly how you found Arweave? Sure. Yeah. I'm JB. Um, I got my start in tech as a machine learning engineer, which turned me on to Ethereum when, um, compute for deep learning, which was becoming big at the time was really hard to find. And so me and all my friends had to build our own computers to run our models. And we were like, how do we pay for this? And a friend turned us on to Ethereum. I started mining and really got hooked in crypto a while ago now. Um, Co-created a project called Bailblock to mine Monero for bail funds and kind of talk about how bail is a messed up form of money and we should make better forms of money. And uh, co-founded a community of hackers and... uh, yeah, also done a bunch of mach- machine learning and have been in tech for a while and have been doing the DAO thing with friends and realizing that it's really hard to contribute to these um, communities despite being really good at what you do. And it's not 
you know, the fault of the DAOs is that we're having these scaling issues. So at Contributor Town, I'm trying to make a way to create super teams with people you know in real life or on the internet to meet the goals of DAOs and also enable DAOs to post their goals and let people who are a great fit for their community actually find these goals and hit them. Yeah, as a member of, of many DAOs uh, myself, and I imagine many others here in the space can uh, assimilate with that, it's really challenging not only to be one of the community leaders within a DAO, it's also difficult to be a potential contributor. It's like, where do I find the information? You know, discovery is challenged. Um, it's challenging because there's so many channels and there's so many discords. Um, how, what are some thoughts as far as just that almost dis, dis, to parameterize it, I guess, like the discovery piece, like how do you find individuals that are fit for the job and how do you individuals find that job? Like, how are you thinking about that? Yeah. So I'm trying to basically seed our, our network with people who have proven they're really good at what they do through like a lot of like web two credentials. Like they've worked at a fast growing startup and know how to work in small teams and build awesome things, but also people who have kind of artifacts that they've created um, on their own that resonate with the DAO. And then trying to define like what a good contributor is. Cause I, I don't think we know yet. I think we're still so early and the people contributing now are early. And then once we do that, using that data to find more people like them and also incentivizing people who are really good at this to recruit friends and um, other people like them. And this is where the notion of the super team, as you call it, uh, it sounds like it comes into play. Basically, we have a curated, relatively tight knit group of individuals that then refers others to grow kind of the, the, the larger team, I guess, or structure of contributor town as initial contributors or potential contributors, and then linking that up with DAOs? Is that kind of the process? Or how are you looking at actually integrating into DAOs? Yeah, so talking to DAOs, they're really interested in new contributors who can help them hit their goal. But they're also interested in using Contributor Town to onboard their existing community and give them a way to propose and complete projects different from having to scope their own bounties, which can be really difficult, or create like really um, complex onboarding systems, like a place where a DAO can post, like, this is our goals for the season. Do people have ideas? Is there a way we can give you a bit of funding to get started to test your way of meeting this idea if you have expertise there versus um, the initial, like the current, like bounties or like posting on a discord or something? Yeah, the bounty side of things and rewards and so on within, within a, a DAO or something like a DAO is a challenge. And I appreciate you pointing towards scoping of one's own bounties because that is a project unto itself. So part of the vision is actually to have individuals that kind of are up to take on that challenge and formulate something that is cohesive and, and can be delivered uh, as far as, you know, creating that bounty so others can then do that work, um, which I think is really important. The, the, the area that I'm particularly interested in, given your background and this notion of better coordination through data science, um, what, what does that mean? I guess, what, what is the data science component? Yeah, so I think we're still really early on the data DAOs are generating, but it is uh, stuff like looking at like snapshot data and treasury data and trying to predict what DAOs may need and like how much they are paying and like what the time commitment is and matching people who are looking for a certain amount of comp or consistency or like looking at the data around like who the leaders are of this community and do they gel with like your values and the type of work you want to do? Like what are the vibes? Um, so those are the, the, the things we found important to aspiring contributors are like, can I like look at this DAO and propose a thing and like actually do it? Or am I going to get blocked by a guild leader? And then it's like, what are the vibes? Is this like a really chill like social club or are we like trying to create billions of dollars of value? Um, is there diversity or do I like not care as much about a diverse team? Stuff like that is stuff we can find in the data right now. We've never had more open data on organizations like getting to like go into like an organization's discord and just like poke around and see what the culture is, is, is very new. Like you can't just join someone like a corporations 
Slack right now and like poke around. But with Web3, we have a bunch more open data and open code that we can look at. It's a great point regarding uh, the accessibility and the open data sets and, and so on that can be, I guess, mined or uh, articulated into um, vibes, uh, which is a really fascinating thing is connecting vibes, which is so important. You know, like obviously the, the culture of a workplace is, is, is really important for collaboration because collaboration is so intimate and can be fragile. Um, so I'm curious, how does this all tie into Arweave? Yeah, so I've been a fan of Arweave since USB invested a while back because I, I met USB a while back and was like, they're really smart. I'm just going to follow everything they do. And so I followed their Arweave investment. And I think I the um, the like incentive mechanisms are very smart. But more importantly, I want contributor town to be the most aligned with contributors out of all the platforms out there. We're talking about DAO tools right now, but like I think we need contributor tools because the people are the thing that make these um, organizations work. Um, so profit sharing communities really appeal to me as far as sharing the value with having contributors contribute to our platform. Like the, the, the goal that like we can have the best contributors contributing to contributor town and incentivizing them through profit sharing communities is really where our weave comes into play. Got it. Makes sense. And and how about the the side of the you know pay one store permanently? How do you look at that from a data science perspective? And how does that help the mission of Contributor Town? Yeah, um, I love the idea of getting to create applications and have them live forever and compensate the people who contributed to them. Um, I think I'm really curious about how we deal with things like work history or negative reviews on Arweave. It's something I'm thinking a lot about. And I think we're going to try a bunch, experiment with a bunch of different ways to do that because the idea of kind of having negative experiences follow you forever is not something I like. Um, so I think it, it poses an interesting challenge, but I think giving people portable data about their employment is very valuable. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen this news story, but there's stuff like Apple, for instance, if you leave Apple and try to get like a background, like a reference from them, they call everyone an associate. They won't tell people what your title was. And that's kind of ridiculous. So there is something empowering about having all your employment data out there. But I think what we store on our weave is going to be very strategic and how we store it such that we aren't harming people. Yeah, strategic, I think, is an interesting word um, in orienting, you know, that decision of what is appropriate for that and what is not. And I imagine that will come with experience and possibly uh, get into that kind of DAO environment where there's voting and, and things like that. Like, how open do you intend to be with those elements of Contributor Town? As far as work experience? Well, as far as like what is is put on the permweb and what is not, and you know, like how are you thinking about that more specifically? Like, do you do you see that as a, a, a I don't know a collaborative environment for making these decisions, like real DAO oriented, or how do you foresee this kind of kicking off as far as making those like really big strategic decisions? Yeah, um, I think for a lot of like the metrics we're storing, I guess it could come down to voting at some point with our community, but I think we're going to be pretty opinionated to start and then see if our community doesn't like it. And if the community doesn't like it, they can change it. But um, I think we're, we're going to go about trying to keep the data on the site pretty positive and, um, make it more like if there's a lack of endorsement from someone or if someone has removed their endorsement from you, sort of like how um, a site like Reddit would use something called a warrant canary where Reddit will post like, Hey, we've never had the FBI's never looked at our servers on their website. And then if that happens, Reddit removes that because they can't explicitly say the FBI was here. They can only remove, um, that the FBI was never here. And I think similarly, 
what we want to focus on is like attest positive attestations. And then like if a negative, if, if there is like no attestation, you should kind of back channel with someone off the perma web and see like if something went down, if that makes sense. Um, because we don't want to become like a bullying site. Yeah. And so as far as con contributor town going forward, um, is there anything you're looking for from, you know, those that are listening or here in the space, uh, any way to contribute to Contributor Town at this moment? What's the, the status of, yeah. of, of all that? Um, we're pretty much like in a private beta type period while we spin this up and make sure we're getting it right. But we're looking for contributors looking to contribute to DAOs and like DAOs who are really interested in this way of working. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your perspective and, and further thoughts on Contributor Town. Um, for those of you here listening, uh, you can go to contributor.town and you can uh, put your email in um, to get updates and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I just want to move forward. And uh, I think this is a, a, an interesting segue. I'm going to pop over to Fora. That's Fora.co. Yeah, what was your experience like in, in Open Web Foundry and um, how has it assisted in your implementation of utilizing Arweave for Fora? Uh, I think Reese will take this one. Reese, you want to get it? You want to take it? Yeah. Hi. So um, the big deal was is when we started building Fora, we were like, man, Solana is just not geared for uh, data storage. It's super expensive. So we started going with the. Uh, we, we took some inspiration from Metaplex, who's using Arweave to store all their NFT data. And uh, so currently we're just using it as a data storage layer. But as we started diving into Arweave, we're like, oh, this is wicked. They got all these like smart contracts and stuff for like updating these states. So. Uh, it's certainly been interesting to build on and going forward, I think we want to move like more and more of our features onto Arweave just due to the fact that it's so much cheaper to like do this stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, JB was was talking a little bit to to the kind of area of strategy and management of content and, and things like that. Um, now, Fora is, you know, social web three. Um, and it's built on Solana and, and Arweave and what you call like the perfect stack of Fora, Solana and Arweave. Um, how are you looking at the permanent side and the management of content um, that may be unsavory or whatever? Um, just kind of curious if, of your thoughts in general as you build a, a social social layer on, on the permweb. Yeah, so I, I one of our biggest facets is that we want to be an uncensorable network. I think that's a very like very prominent topic and definitely something we want to like build in and make sure that we keep on track with going forward. But that does definitely bring up a tricky question, like what happens when people are posting things that like you know perhaps like illegal content and stuff. And to be honest, I'm not sure there's like a fantastic answer for this. You know, even stuff as old as Bitcoin has uh, illegal content still stored on there permanently. But um, as far as we're going with right now, I think the best solution is uh, you can actually delete these accounts on Solana. So if we have like a post upload that goes to Arweave and then the account gets deleted on Solana, then uh, it's, you know, nothing points to it. And it's, you know, it's still on the permaweb. However, it's a lot harder to uh, harder to find if it's just sort of floating in limbo. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned in your presentation at, at OWF, um, the Open Web Foundry, is the amount of traction that you have. So in your Discord, there's like, what, like 50,000 members. Yeah, so um, we, uh, we started uh, marketing this campaign March 5th, sometime around there. And we went trending. Uh, we did an early airdrop, and that eventually snowballed. Um, and then because of that, we were able to engage with this great community. A lot of our community is currently based out of Southeast Asia. Um, and so I, um, funny story. I actually was procrastinating sending a tweet. I was busy all day and I sent it at 11 o'clock at night, my time. And then it just was noon in Indonesia. And then what we really want to do is like bring in people from all facets. We want, so like we have the Southeast Asian community right now. We're hoping to bring in more people from the West, from Europe, Africa. We're trying to build this into a community that can, like, especially with the implementations of forums, what we have coming, there's going to be a lot of ways that different communities can, can act, um, especially with, like, DAOs having their own forum. It's going to be a great platform for them all to connect on. 
And in your in your opinion or in your view, like why do you think that tweet or why do you think this is this is kicked off in a big way? I mean, one of the, one of the pillars of, of of Fora is earn on social web three. Is it about kind of a play to earn type of thing that you think is is really resonating with individuals? What's your what's your take? I personally think that it's kind of a combination of I always kind of wanted to like my ideas. I think not necessarily. I think I should earn, but I think people have like this message has resonated with them that people can earn based off what they think. I know many influencers, um, like if you think about your typical small name influencer, like they aren't getting the payout that they would necessarily want on certain apps such as Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. We're, we want to provide a way that people can make money off, of, off their ideas. So I think the whole idea of like, I don't need to be this huge influencer to make money is kind of resonating with some like smaller name influencers. And just your average, your average uh, Joe's can be like, okay, I can make some money off this. Another big thing too is that the uh, you know all these Web two social media companies have basically sucked up all the value and just absorbed that from their user bases who really aren't you know earning much back on it. They have to find all these like extraneous ways to like extract the value out of their personal brand. And so I think it's definitely like a big, uh, a big draw for people who want to create is that they don't have to like build a brand and then, you know, several years down the road, figure out how to monetize it later. The big deal is basically all of our social interactions are all denominated in our utility token. And so something as simple as a like uh, that pays a token to the creator of the post. Um, and then aside from that, we have our own, uh, our, uh, excuse me, like decentralized exchange set or, um, listing so that people can you know trade these tokens for value and um so yeah something as simple as a like however there's other mechanisms as well like replying to posts or creating your own content and uh stuff like that can also be uh monetized and in regards to the token itself can you share a little bit of the tokenomics or i don't know how far along that is at this moment in time uh, just maybe uh, an overview on on that end as well yeah, so um, tokenomics-wise, we started out with a big, massive uh, community allocation. And so um, some big key points in there, for starters, is we have uh, our, our top content airdrop pool. So we've allocated something like 15% of the tokens itself just to giving out to like the uh, highest-ranked content within the platform. Aside from that, we have some set aside for you know bringing on influencers from outside communities and more set aside for giving to... Uh, creators that are within the forest space itself. So once people start making content in our uh, ecosystem, we want to make sure we're rewarding that and like promoting good content and stuff that we really enjoy and that others are going to enjoy. Cool. So using incentive mechanisms that you want to support for the forums and everything that are built out and the interactions right from the beginning um, and providing those that are early entrants uh, with, with tokens is there any is there any area right now that you're thinking a lot about or if there's a feature that maybe you can share that's in the works like what what's next um yeah so the next big one as aj alluded to earlier is we want to implement uh forums so the the big idea of forums is kind of create a social interface for your dao so you could basically plug your dao in and then uh from there you know you have like a nice uh a nice you know forum-esque uh interface for posting to your community um, additionally, since we're like supporting, we're trying to support as many types of content as we can. Um, we, we have like rich text posting. And so the idea being that instead of having to rely on web two like medium or Substack for your, uh, your DAO or org or whatever to, uh, you know, release, release material out there, you'd be able to post that within your forum. Um, another idea with the forums too, is, for, uh, you know, perhaps set it up so you could gate it with like NFTs. So like your NFT is your entrance in that way you could set up communities where like, it's required that you have some kind of invested interest within the community itself to, uh, you know, participate. Very cool. And uh, for the listeners and everyone here, um, what can the listeners do and, and how can they contribute or what are the opportunities rather, I think is probably most appropriate given your emphasis with Fora um, that you're currently providing. I know you spoke to that a little bit. Um, anything you want, want to mention? Yeah. So we have our DevNet live right now. Um, we plan on launching our mainnet June 30th, so uh, people can, can't necessarily earn right now, but there's opportunities to earn for in our Discord. We're hosting weekly competitions to kind of like get the creation flowing. Like, for example, we just had an art competition that went very well. 
Uh, so we, we're already starting to get more people the token itself. Um, but we also have our DevNet Live where people can go on. It's um, Fora.co. And you can like test the app, see how it works, um, and kind of get a really good idea of what the app will be. Keep in mind, it's a very, very uh, early version. So it's not necessarily as polished as it will be from mainnet. But that's kind of like what we have right now. The uh, Discord link is discord.gg slash Fora. All right. Well, uh, super appreciate you both, AJ and Reese, for joining in. Uh, it's fascinating to see what you're building out with Fora and using that perfect stack, as you call it, which is the, the Fora Web Social Web three, and then you got Solana and, of course, Arweave as the storage layer. Um, so, switching gears a bit here, uh, we're going to transition over to Kip, um, and Kip Engine is. Uh, the first Web3 game engine for the metaverse, uh, in their own words, and uh, Kip Engine is a blockchain-native game engine and protocol for highly detailed 3D games and experiences that run with incredible performance and on web browsers. And the web browser component is really fascinating. Um, Amiro of Kip is here, and uh, welcome. Hi, thank you. Yeah, um, so... For us, um, we've been looking into this space for a while. Um, so I'm a big gamer myself. Um, so starting back, you know, my background, I studied computer science, but in 2017, I, I really got into crypto and into the blockchain space. And of course, Decentraland, they, they launched in 2018. So I was quite excited about um, the metaverse. Um, so I've been following a lot of these projects, you know, from there you know, from the beginning. Um, and then 2018, 2019, I've seen a lot more projects coming along. And there were a couple that were using Unreal and Unity. Um, but I could see that, you know, the infrastructure itself just wasn't there. It wasn't ready for something that should be really accessible and easy to get on and not have any sort of centralized entity. So it didn't make any sense to me that you have the blockchain that can obviously you know, show ownership over certain aspects. But at the same time, you've got, you know, these centralized um, parts of the metaverse. And I just didn't see any longevity in anything that's being built as a metaverse over those sort of technologies. Going back to the web, um, you know, Decentraland and crypto voxels, you know, they're the great experiences on your laptop, but they don't have a strong, you know, a mobile um, they're just not very good, you know, user experience on the mobile and even on the laptop or your desktop, um, the user experience kind of sucks. You know, anything that's being built right now using, you know, WebGL, it's often they're they're using existing graphics libraries that haven't that don't really make things super efficient. So yeah, so for me, I think the web is the way forward, and that's why we kind of concentrated on creating a game engine that is web first. However, because it's based on WebAssembly, um, this should be cross-platform uh, cross too. Um, so going back to the basics of the metaverse, a lot of people have their own ideas of what a metaverse is or should be. Um, you've got you know, Fortnite, you've got games like um, even Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption, they call themselves you know, metaverse projects or metaverse games. But these are all just like multiplayer, you know, sandbox games. For me, and I think, you know, what's becoming established now in the Web3 community, there's um, there's a couple of things that are now um, definite um, tick boxes for what a metaverse should be. So we know it should be scalable. It should always be on. You know, you can't just, you know, turn off your computer and then the next day turn it back on onto that platform or onto the metaverse and see that it's reset. So it's always existing, even if you're not there and it's constantly evolving. So somebody might come and build something the next day or the next week, you might come and you might find that they've you know, built it out and into a massive building. They can, they can come and modify and they can interact with objects and each other in real time. So all of this is called persistence. And that's what some, that's one of the major kind of, um, technological issues that's lacking from current game engines. So the metaverse yeah. has, yeah. I just wanted to, to just kind of explore a few of the topics in which you've already brought up. 
um, and also a little bit of an anecdotal story. Uh, I, you know, I was uh, in in New York and ex- experiencing, you know, NFT.NYC and all of that. And speaking with a metaverse, quote unquote, real estate agent. And yeah. um, one of the questions that I had is like, okay, well, where is this stuff stored? And this particular individual just did had no idea. And I was really surprised because there's a lot of cash involved and there's so much energy, so much just of everything. Right. And these things are stored in precarious ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious, you know, one of the things you spoke to already is this notion of persistence, the always on as a really important feature of what you're building out with Kip Engine. Um, Can you share a little bit more about like your process of, choosing Arweave for this and how you look at persistence and, and the web in general? Yeah, of course. Uh, so you made a great point. Um, obviously, if your NFT is linked to data that's not, you know, it's not permanent, then you're going to lose, you know, you, you're going to get rugged. So a lot of, you know, I think many NFT projects are now using Arweave or they're using other decentralized storage ways. Obviously, they're not as strong as Arweave. So Arweave has that permanence, whereas something like, you know, well, your competitors, basically, they're, they're just not there. IPFS, for example, they pin the data. But a lot of them are going on that sort of um, mechanic where it has to be paid for continuously for it to be relevant and for it to be exist, you know, to, exi- to exist. Um, so, the, again, you know, if you dig deep, you know, that permanence is super important for the metaverse. And you want to make sure that you're, assets are around even if the server goes down your assets are not going to be going down you know you've got that permanence there so arweave brings that permanence and it's it's really important for us to have that strong foundation we're not just the assets themselves so we talked about game assets like a sword but even the graphics that make up the world will be stored and be permanent so imagine you're playing you know a game and all of a sudden you you know you see a massive um like an error page you know you don't want you don't want a chunk of the metaverse having a 404 error file not found warning you know in your face like where you might want to see this guy you end up seeing a 404 error so arweave brings that permanence and if you own a valuable metaverse asset then you want the value of that asset to be held right into the future even hundreds of years into the future you know you might even want to hand something down to the next generation just like people you know, save their Bitcoins and they're not spending it. You know, you need to have that similar sort of persistence with digital assets that are in the metaverse. So the only way to do that right now is through Arweave. And then how do you keep those assets up to date? And that's where Smartweave comes into play. So we invented something called meta assets. And those are basically smart contracts which manage, which are used to manage um, and update complex 3D assets that are on permanent storage. Um, I think here I might kind of segue to more, to um, Erica Myrand, if you kind of give a little bit more info on some of the smart waves. Sure. Um, yes, as a matter of fact, you know, it's like um, more than ever with like uh, the birth of metaverses, the um, assets and data as a whole is going to become very valuable things with like uh, all kinds of functions uh as NFTs, but, you know, in like a, as a function within metaverses and people might be willing to spend a lot of money to, you know, or a lot of time creating or building like complex um, part of the virtual world. As such, indeed, like having like the system um, like Arweave to make sure that the stuff will be available many years in the future, you know, not just for like part of the world before stuff being bought and sold. On um, in the metaverse is very important, and um, and these items, you know, it's like they can be very complex. You know, I, I don't know if like many of you have experience with like three D assets and so on, but they can be composed of many different parts of near, many different, you know, um, components, just textures for the color, but also for like normal mapping for you know um, materials, animation. This kind of stuff, and in the future, you know, we've been working on these extensions of the GLTF formats that will also include, you know, all kind of information about how the system works, 
we could even imagine having like sounds, videos within these files. So, you know, it's like uh, maintaining these files and making sure that they're always compatible with the environments, that they work well, that they are properly debugged. You know, we might discover like um, sets that have bugs in them, like, you know, I don't know, a car that does not actually properly or, you know, where part of the model is not properly made. And uh, as such, you know, in the future, even this permanent assets might need to be updated. Or, you know, if you have a car, you know, you might not just have one artist working on it. You might have like an old team of people working on it. So you need to make sure that everything works together, that everything is managed properly. And as such, you know, you need to have like this, um, this complex um, system to um, to manage these uh, complex assets. And, you know, that's what we call this meta assets. And as such, you know, we've been working on this uh, interface uh, with uh, with Outweave, uh, with Outweave, you know, to um, to manage these assets and make sure that, you know, they look properly within our system. And uh, yeah, it's been working pretty well and we're quite happy with it, really. Yeah, it's amazing to see the demo um, in your Open Web Foundry presentation. And I know you have a demo available for anyone listening. Um, and uh, for, to find out more information, Kip, engine.com that's kip which stands for knowledge is power which i find to be an interesting (laughs) basis for 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 the name um just want to wrap up with uh with kip team um and and i'm curious like do you see what you're building as you know like intergenerational I don't I think about statues and I think about what is a statue like in the in the world of, of Arweave and the permaweb and the quote unquote metaverse. Um, you're talking about building entire worlds that may be able to be passed down for generations to come and, and all the events that have occurred there. Uh, how do you look at this long term? Because this is something that's so fascinating within the Arweave community in particular is like long term thinkers. So I'm just curious um uh to to hear your perspective on on how you look at things over the long long term i mean definitely well, sorry, yeah sorry erica you can go first <laughs> sure i mean uh well i mean um from a technical point of view at least uh, we're trying to make sure that everything we are working on is uh, is um in a way human readable that's why we try to stay as much as possible within like um like the JSON language, to make sure that, you know, um, properties, um, um, information about the environment will be as human-readable as possible and as um, upgradable as possible. So this is one way we're doing it, so that in the future, you know, even if um, if some part of uh, this, uh, you know, all the metaverse is pretty much unused and, like, modern stuff are not really all that um, compatible with it, still be able to, you know, um, look at the, the code and, and be able to understand what's going on and uh, to make sure that it's compatible in the future. Makes yeah, sense. and another thing, another thing that I want to uh, mention here is like our big vision is what we're doing is as a foundational infrastructure layer. And that's where, you know, Arweave comes into play. But also, you know, it's not just graphics, we provide physics, um, the blockchain support, and we, we try to empower builders who might not just be developers, but also the general public who do not know much about coding. So we're going to have like a no-code studio and we're going to abstract away a lot of the kind of difficult stuff and just allow people to drag and drop and build stuff. And all of that is going to be powered by our technologies, but also obviously the the R-Weave stack underneath it. So even the general public will be able to create, you know, let's say this, you know, like a, a giant statue, let's say of, of the metaverse, you know, um, like a replica of the Statue of Liberty, but for the Web3 community, perhaps, and that could be around for hundreds of years. I mean, if not even a thousand years, if people continue to <laughs> to, to use the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's fascinating to think about. I appreciate you both being here. I'm going to move on to Rare Candy. And uh, just a note for listeners, you can go to kips, K-I-P-S dot X-Y-Z and have a look at the Alpha Spaces um, and, yeah. and enjoy that. Um, Sorry, just, right, to, just to note, um, some of the buttons don't work, but if you go into the menu and click Spaces, then you can play around with the 3D Spaces and check out the physics. Thank you.
All right. All right. Very cool. So I um, want to move forward with Rare Candy. And Rare Candy is a virtual publishing house that curates, um, you know, artists based on a number of uh, components, aesthetics and, and creativity and quality of rendering and so on. Um, the site itself is an experience. And uh, I, from what I understand, there, there's possibly an update in store. Regardless, Ross from Rare Candy, happy you are here. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. So I'm um, curious to get an explanation of Rare Candy from your perspective and uh, learn a little bit about uh, your role at Rare Candy. Uh, so I'm kind of like the jack of all trades, like being one of the earliest members, one of the co-founders of the project. Um, uh, my like official role is head of partnerships, but I do pretty much, I'm involved in pretty much uh, every aspect of the project. And Rare Candy so far, as you mentioned uh, very correctly, we were like a publishing house for scarce physical and digital collectibles that are registered on Ethereum. Um, and it was like a private uh, curated only process that not everyone could mint, let's say, whatever they wanted, like you would do on Rarible or OpenSea. But um, now with the new platform we're building, we're going to still kind of keep releasing the Rare Candy Originals, as we call them, like the curated releases that will be mostly weighted towards physicals. Uh, to, uh, towards physical asset tokenization, while we will also give uh, the broader uh, audience kind of like the, the the opportunity to mint their own stuff, whether we talk about digital or physicals, uh, with some extra features, let's say. Very cool. And there's a lot packed into Rare Candy. I mean, as I you know briefly yeah. mentioned, you know, going to the site itself, it definitely has a vibe. There's 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 a lot of like experiential components. You move the mouse and there's the background that changes and it's a it feels like a very artistically like oriented community, which makes a lot of sense. It's just that you seem to be going to great depths in providing experiences. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting in, in learning more about Rare Candy is this notion of the NCO, the NFT coin offering. Can you speak mm -hmm. to what that is, what the dynamics are, and why you're doing it? Definitely. So the NCO stands basically for NFT coin offering, as you uh, as you said, and this is something we thought uh, like our token was created in partnership with Roll, which is like a social uh, token issuer or social token uh, management platform. And um, the, uh, the the good thing with uh, with Roll is that you can create like claimable links for uh, ERC twenty tokens uh, such as Rare Candy or many other tokens that live on the Ethereum. And what we basically did is that we created uh, what we call NFT investment slots or like NFT tickets uh, that have an unlockable file, uh, which is basically the claimable link for the ERC twenty tokens. So it's kind of, uh, the way it works is kind of like a bearer bond where you don't have to necessarily, uh, you know, show us who you are or uh, kind of agree to a soft agreement or to a legal agreement or do KYC or whatever. As soon as you buy this NFT, you're eligible to claim these ERC-20 tokens. And we thought like this... This was like an interesting way to kind of utilize NFTs, not just as art, but kind of as an investment vehicle or uh, as the the an access point or like an access card to a specific amount of uh, pre-allocated uh, monetary tokens. In this case, uh, RCDY. Uh, so yeah, there, there is a, a bunch of explanations about the NCO. You can read it on our website or on or on our medium. Um, but yeah, like in in a wrap up, I think this is pretty much what it is. Got it. Yeah, a very interesting model and, and something similar uh, that is out in the world is from LiveArt. That's LiveArt.io, um, just for the listeners, uh, who's also been on the podcast, uh, the founder, Boris. Um, Ross, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, there's so many things, as I mentioned, that kind of you're focused on at Rare Candy. And there's so many platforms out there that are NFT marketplaces and things like that. You know, one of the things that is is particularly interesting about rare candy is that you're not actually seeking out new artists like how does your platform work as far as curating those that are able to 
express themselves, if you will, on Rare Candy via their art? So, so up, up until this point, like so far, we used to kind of cherry pick the artist, not with an, from an artistic perspective. Like I'm not an artist myself. Uh, I might have like a certain aesthetic, but it's like a very personal. I think like everyone has a personal aesthetic. So in the beginning, we were like just asking out friends or like family members, you know, who are kind of into art. Uh, I remember uh, when we started, like what sparked the idea behind Rare Candy is that uh, we were just roaming in crypto voxels and so um, I think it was like a Spanish guy, I don't remember his name, but he created like a Jesus figure, uh, like an NFT that showed Jesus holding like a baby Ethereum or something like this and it was sold like for 20k or something like this. It was like one of the first crazy prizes, obviously like today we see NFTs being sold like for tens of millions, but back then, you know, the even the most exaggerated prizes would be around $500. So seeing something like this, that was pretty much in terms of aesthetic, like a Microsoft Doodle, uh, and I'm serious about it. But, you know, it was kind of gave us the idea like, hey, man, look, I'm not an artist. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not saying like I can do something better than this, but there's there are a lot of people that we know either in our personal circle, our classmates, you know, even like people we know from real life that uh, are, you know, they have different skills. Some of them are musicians, some of them are like painters or 3D designers, uh, renderers that maybe they do, they have no idea about NFTs. So we can combine these kind of forces and uh, start releasing that stuff. And the first artist we worked with was um, Vasily Oleshko or Sibeski uh, from St. Petersburg. And he... Uh, I think we uh, we created an NFT with three copies, like a three edition of three copies, and they were sold out literally in the first day. And uh, from some pretty interesting collectors, we think that are now like uh, uh, considered to be awarded collectors of rare candy. And uh, the the difference with the new platform is that we're gonna still be doing this. Uh, also, like the process has changed a lot. We now have like an artist relation manager. Uh, we have like a product manager that kind of takes care of what kind of materials do we use for physical releases. Uh, if you, if you're talking about a fashion piece or like who's actually designing this fashion piece, uh, because we don't have like an in-house fashion designer or like an in-house musician, but we work uh, like with different artists for uh, different releases. So what we're trying to do is kind of create like a compelling story or like a concept, uh, like a sci-fi, small short sci-fi story, and then we try to dress this. Uh, with music, with a nice visual, with a nice uh, description, maybe some unlockables, maybe like a physical gift, uh, whether that's a record vinyl, a t-shirt or something like that, to kind of enhance uh, the experience of the internet buyer. And uh, the, what the new platform offers is like this enhanced, plus the ability for everyone to mint uh, anything they want, but also being able to kind of tap in some of these uh, uh, some of these like uh, helping hands, let's say that we offer to our curated roster as well. Very cool. So concerted efforts, uh, it sounds like as far as creating experiences, again, leaning into that experience, which I think is so important uh, for distinguishing one platform to the other and, and one marketplace to the other. And, and I, I do get the vibe that this rare candy is, is really an experience. Um, one thing that, you know, you touched on, I think, briefly there is your team. And mm -hmm. the team of Rare Candy is very much so global. I mean, you, you know, from Germany to Greece, Nigeria, India, I mean, and beyond. How mm -hmm. do you, how do you like bring members on board? Like what's your process for uh, finding individuals that are interested in working with you, uh, you know, all over the planet? And, and how, what's your coordination been like thus far? Mm, that's pretty interesting. Like I, I, in the beginning, like I think we were just uh, friends, myself and Andrew. And some it, it depends. Like I think all of the members have like a different uh, had a different onboarding process. Most of the team members were not even familiar with the Web three space, except like the tech guys. And I don't know, man. Like it varies. Like some people we literally found through a Facebook post, like to some uh, Solidity Dev uh, community or whatever, you know. We just posted like, "Hey, we're looking for guys uh, interested in NFTs. If you want to, uh, you know, discuss, hit us." And then a couple of guys hit us. One of them is uh, currently our CTO. We're working together for two years. 
some of the members we have, they approached us. So they were like, hey, I'm really interested in music NFTs. I never done something like this, but if you think I can help you, you know, I can do this and that and that. I can handle this uh, software if you need like some help with rendering something, whatever. So I think it's like a good combination of people we we think that are cool or could fit the team, but also like people that find what we're doing uh, interesting and they want to find their way in, even if they're not necessarily completely familiar or like, um, uh, let's say, Web3 experts. We, we don't think that anyone is an expert in the scene, even if you're like here for years, this is a scene that uh, advances literally by the minute. So um, we, we don't expect that, you know, we will find someone who, hey, there, there's like a standard point that you have some standard experience to join the project. I think like anyone who wants to get involved and contribute with any way they can, we are definitely open to discuss and find kinda, uh, the right slot for them. Uh, so yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And it, it's really, it really is cool to learn about how distributed your, your team is, you know, not only just as, you know, having interesting experiences in a team dynamic, it's, it's also just the perspectives that individuals can offer from different cultures and how that can come through as to what artists are on Rare Candy and the just vast diversity of taste and style and all of these cool, like these really just fascinating components that I feel like can can set rare candy uh, apart from from just your your core team um emphasizing certain perspectives that's that's just a a nice facet of, of well, it's nice all... to hear man thanks a lot Louis. you you honor us <laughs> yeah well it's, it's just it's it's fresh when when teams are are from all sorts of backgrounds and stuff it's it's just uh it's cool to see um so with that we're going to wrap up this uh, Permweb Pioneer panel. Um, this will be on the Permweb Pioneers podcast. Um, so I just want to give a big shout out to everyone that is listening in that has also been a speaker. So Contributor Town, Contributor.Town and JB, thank you so much for being here and sharing your thoughts. Um, and the crew at, at Kip Engine, that's Kip, K-I-P Engine.com. Um, Amiro and Marindi, uh, appreciate the work that you all are doing in creating these 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 worlds that can persist and possibly multiple generations can experience the artwork and and the physics involved. We didn't get to talk about that. It's just the physics that you all have um, going on with your your Kip engine is just fascinating. And um, big shout out to the Fora crew, AJ and, and Reese Fora co. Um, you know, built on Solana and, and Arweave. Uh, enabling individuals to earn and, and be social and really just unlocking a lot of potential um, for inclusion and an opportunity. Um, and of course, Rare Candy with their uh, publishing house. So um, super appreciate you all being here and uh, for all the listeners joining in, whether you're here in the space or on the podcast, um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Permaweb Pioneers, a podcast focused on growing awareness of Arweave and the Permaweb. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Otherwise, share this episode with friends and family and whoever else you think may find it useful and interesting. Thank you for being a part of our community of pioneering long-term thinkers securing the present and future of data.